0: This morning, uh, let me just start with a question. And you don't have to raise your hand because I think all of you would raise your hand. How many of you have ever struggled to know, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Uh, God, what do you have for me? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? Now, again, don't raise your hand, but I'm guessing all of us at some point in our life have struggled with this question of, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, Where do you want me to go? Uh, And so maybe a follow-up question would be... um, if God said, okay, I'm going to tell you everything, I'm going to tell you everything about you and tell you everything about that's going to happen to you and every place you're going to go to and everything you're going to do in that place, how many of you would actually want that information uh, to know everything? Um, What's interesting to me is I'm thankful actually God doesn't do that Uh, I'm thankful that God invites us more on a journey rather than just giving us uh, an essay of, here's the essay of your life, go for it. Uh, He invites us on a journey. But the journey that we have been invited on with God is very interesting uh, in that there are so many times, and I've struggled with this, of, God, I know you've invited me into this, but I really have no clue what you're doing. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to go in the direction that I think you want me to go, uh, but I'm feeling really clueless right now. And as we turn to Acts chapter 16, I take incredible comfort in that you would think of all the people uh, in all of the story of Scripture that would have a really clear understanding of what God wanted them to do and where God wanted them to be would be Paul. Like if anyone would have a great idea of what God was doing and where he should be, Paul would be the guy who would be able to do that. Uh, but when you turn to Acts 16, and go ahead and turn to Acts 16, uh, He was just struggling and could not figure out, God, where am I supposed to be? He went here. He was like, no, you're not supposed to be there. He would go here. No, you're not supposed to be there. Uh, So I'm mildly encouraged to know that, all right, I'm in pretty good company. If Paul is even struggling to figure out what God has for him and where God wants him to be, then, you know, maybe it's okay that I'm actually struggling with some of these same things. Um, I want to read... That's kind of the heart of what I wanted to really address today, but as I was praying through our time together today, uh, and this is not new, but I just feel like there's a few things that God really laid on my heart to share with you, uh, really is observations. And I wanted to share, uh, before we jumped into that big question of how do I really know what God wants for me and where God wants me to be, uh, I have an observation for moms. Uh, I have an observation for older men. And I have an observation that I wanted to make for younger men. Um, And so if you're like, well, I'm not a mom and definitely not a man and definitely not a younger man, what do I do for the next 10 minutes? Uh, I honestly think that you will be encouraged. If you didn't fit one of those categories, uh, I don't check out and then tune back in. Listen to some of these observations because I feel like they will be helpful to you. Let me first read Acts chapter 16, just a few verses. Remember, Paul has started off on his second missionary journey, and he's traveling with uh, Silas. So it says in verse 1, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy, his mother. And try to picture what's happening here, because these observations are going to come out of these few verses. Uh, His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference, and deference just means in humble submission or respect, in deference to the Jews of the area, he, being Paul, arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek, and Greeks did not practice circumcision. Uh, And verse 4 And then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew larger every day. All right, so these are going to be very quick, kind of rapid fire. But as I prayed through that, because uh, that's not really the bulk of what I wanted to get into today, but I was like, I can't ignore this. And I just felt like there was three specific things that got impressed in my heart to share with you. And uh, first, this is for moms. Uh, and if you're currently a mom, uh, or you're thinking about becoming a mom one day, uh, I don't think something that is said enough, certainly by the kids that you care for, uh, whether you have one or whether you have 10, uh, I just don't feel like moms hear the words, thank you, enough. Uh, and so I just wanted, if you're a mom, a current mom, or thinking about being a mom, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, it is incredible privilege and responsibility uh, to be a mom. Uh, now, I'm a dad, but when I consider my mom, who is... An amazing, amazing, godly woman uh, i 'm 41, almost 42, and I can look back at 41 years, and one thing that I have not told her enough uh, is thank you. Uh, cr- incredible privilege and responsibility. and I just wanted you to know if you 're a mom, I just thank you for being a mom. and this isn't Mother's Day, but I just wanted you to know uh, from somebody, because you might not hear it from anyone else today, thank you for being a mom um, but the observations that I have specifically for moms is simply this. Number one would be, you play an eternally significant role in the life of your children. Do not ever underestimate the impact and the influence that you will have on your child or your children. It doesn't matter if your child is yet to be born or your child is under 10 or your child has already like moved out of the house and they've moved on. If you are a mom, do not ever underestimate the impact and the influence that you, spiritually speaking, were introduced for the very first time to this young man named Timothy. And it says, you know, Paul went to these different places and it says, his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in these different towns and cities. So his mom was a Jewish by background, but she believed in Jesus. Jesus. She had heard the gospel most likely communicated to, uh, through Paul, but she came to faith. And the faith that she had, she passed along to her son. And the faith that was passed along to Timothy by his mother uh, was a faith that just not only impacted Timothy, but would impact generations and generations uh, to come. As I consider, I've had a lot of people impact, influence me uh, over my years Uh, but I can honestly say in all integrity, my mom has probably had the most significant impact and influence on my life. My dad has had a tremendous impact and influence on my life. But when I consider my mom, she was the first one that I, at least I remember, that spoke vision into my life. And what I mean by that was when I was 12 years old and I was just a punk of a kid, my mom pulled me aside and she said, Michael, I just feel like you have such a compassionate, tender heart. And apparently I cried a lot when I was 12. And she was like, you're, you're going to be a pastor one day. And she, that was the first time I had ever heard that. And I was like, are you kidding me? Why on earth would I want to be a pastor? What a waste of a life. Why would I do that? And she spoke that vision over my life. And then she faithfully, when I became older and grew and walked away from the Lord, my mom was so faithful and praying me all the way back to the Lord in my mid-20s, early 20s. And she would just faithfully send me notes, because this predates email, of just, Michael, I love you, I'm praying for you. Sometimes she'd pass along a Bible verse. And at first, I'd sometimes get annoyed at those things, but I never threw them away. So, moms, do not ever underestimate uh, the impact and influence that you will have, not just on your son or your daughter, but on future generations to come. And I know that's probably not new information to you, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm guessing because I live with a mom being my wife, it's easy to get tired. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get stuck in the just details of, of running a house and life and all of those things, and you forget the greatest gift you will give to your children is the gift of future faith. You cast vision, you pray, you persevere with your kids, you love your kids. <clears throat> and I'm pretty pretty confident that Timothy's mom was incredibly blessed by the faith that Timothy one day took upon himself. Uh, the second thing I wanted to point out as an observation for moms, and this one will be really hard, <clears throat> is there's going to come a day when you'll need to entrust your son or your daughter to the Lord. And what I mean by that is there's going to come a day when you need to let him go. Now, I'm not, my wife and I are not there yet, we've got a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 7-year-old, so we have not let them go as it were. God's still entrusted to, them, to us to care for them, but there will come a point in time where you will have to entrust your kids, sons and daughters, or how many ever you have, you will have to entrust them uh, to the Lord. Uh, I wanted to at least draw your attention to this. Uh, Timothy's mom lived in Lystra. And the last time that uh, Saul or Paul was in Lystra, do you remember what happened to him? He almost died, okay? He was stoned in town. They thought he was dead and they grabbed his hand and they dragged him out of town. Imagine if that same individual came back into town and saw your child and said, hey, I want you to come on a journey with me. If you're a mom, how excited would you be to say, yeah, Timothy, that sounds like a great plan because this guy, you know, last time we met him, he was almost dead and people were throwing stones at him. So please go ahead, have a great trip with this guy, Paul. I don't think it would be that easy for uh, Eunice to let her son Timothy go. Okay, and keep in mind, there was no Facebook back, back then for her. There would be no Instagram pictures of hey mom, here's the journey along the way. She couldn't keep up with Timothy on Twitter of like, hey, well that's what Timothy learned today. When she said goodbye to Timothy, she had no idea if she would ever see him again. There will come a point as time as parents, but I'm addressing specifically moms because of Timothy's mom here, that you will have to entrust your children to the Lord. And that might mean saying goodbye and not knowing what might happen to your child. But as you have prepared them and prayed for them and just breathed future faith into them and you trust the character of God, God, I entrust my child to you. You've given him to me or her to me for so many years. I entrust them to you. And I I imagine that was painful for Timothy's mom to say goodbye uh, especially not knowing she's, he's traveling with Paul. He's getting persecuted all over the place. But she entrusted her son to the Lord. Uh, that's for moms. Um, and I know that might be like, wow, well that was totally discouraging there, Michael. Um, I'm pretty confident that Eunice looked at her son Timothy, thanks Mike, uh, and was incredibly grateful for the journey that she entrusted her son to. I'm pretty confident that she was excited and thankful that she didn't try to cling on to her son, but she said, if God is calling you to this, to go here with him, I will pray for you, and I love you, and I will let you go. Uh, A second observation I would make uh, specifically now to the men, and I'm making this to the older men, and the category in my mind for older men right now is over 35, because if you're over 35, you're living the back half of your life right now. Uh, we've got about 70 years, give or take. So if you're uh, 35 and beyond, welcome to the back half of your life. Uh, And the observation, are you feeling the encouragement coming today from me? The observation that I would want to challenge older men, specifically 35 and over, is this. God does not want you traveling alone. God does not want you traveling alone. Uh, I love how it says in Acts 16, Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on the journey. Paul looked at Timothy and just said, I want you to come with me. I'm going to grab your hand, and I'm going to take you where God is calling me, and we're going to learn together a lot about God. We're going to learn about life. We're going to learn about life with God, but I want you to come with me. So a question that I would ask of the older men, 35 and above, is this question, who is traveling with you in the direction that God has called you to walk? Who's traveling with you right now? Whose hand have you grabbed and said, I I want you to come with me? If you're 35, if you're 40, if you're 50, if you're 60, if you're 70, who is traveling with you? the biggest complaint that I hear from a lot of the young men that I spend time with in their 20s and early 30s is, man, I just wish I had somebody older who'd be willing to invest in me. I just wish, because I didn't have a dad, and I just wish that somebody would love me enough to come alongside me and grab my hand and say, man, I just want to walk with you in life. I want to teach you about life. I want to teach you about God. I want to teach you about faith. And no, I don't have all of my stuff together But I know the direction that God's called me to go, and I just want to grab your hand and let's walk this road, let's walk this journey uh, together. Uh, I realize that if you're 35 and older, so old, um, you might be thinking to yourself, my God, i never had someone do that for me. How could I possibly do that for someone else since no one ever grabbed my hand? And I can only say, if no one ever grabbed your hand, I'm Sorry. But don't let what someone never did for you prevent you from doing for somebody else what they desperately need. And to the older men of this community, I love that we have older men that God is raising up in this community because when I come to church, and I hope it's the same for you, and you see men in their late teens, in their 20s, in their early 30s, it is an amazing opportunity that God has given you to say, I'm going to not just spend the back half of my life, I'm going to invest the back half of my life, specifically in this man or in these men here. And I know that you can come up with all sorts of reasons and ideas and uh, what I'll just call excuses of why you can't, you don't have time, you too busy, you don't know what you're doing. Um, just walk with God and grab someone else's hand and God will lead the both of you together. So if you are an older man, I wanted to encourage you from Paul to Timothy, do that. There's a generation of men who are desperate for an older man uh, to come alongside them and pour into them and love them and serve them. Um, This is a third observation, and this is for the younger men, uh, specifically 35 and uh, under. And here would be the observation for you. Being committed to Christ and his mission and his message is the best thing. It's the best thing because you might be in a season where you're trying to figure out, well, what is the best thing? I'm going to give myself to something, so what's the best thing that I could give myself to? Uh, I made the observation before that men in their 20s, early 30s, the complaint, the cry I often hear is, I just wish someone older would come alongside and show me the way. But a criticism, and I love men under 35, but I would say this, over all of the years of the younger men that I've either worked with and come alongside or just been around, the biggest battle uh, that they face right now is being committed. I don't want to commit to anything because something better might come along. And that might frustrate older men as you see these younger guys and you're like, man, none of these guys ever commit to anything. They never say yes and I, I can't count on them to say yes. And what's happened is there is a generation of Men in their late teens, early 20s, early 30s, who just have the hardest time committing to anything because you've just grown up in a culture where you have so many different options. And rather than just saying yes to one thing and pouring yourself and investing yourself in that one thing, I'm going to keep my options open because something better might come along. Now, my question to the younger men is, how committed do you think Timothy was? And I'll just answer that for you. He was over-the-top committed uh, to the message and to the mission of the gospel of Jesus. There was no higher commitment in Timothy's life. And you might ask, well, Michael, how on earth would you know that Timothy was that committed? And by the way, Timothy, when we meet him, he's in his early 20s. Most scholars would agree that he was somewhere between 18 to 25, okay? How do you know that he was that committed? Just because he went with Paul? kind of. But I know for a fact that Timothy was committed to the mission and the message, and this is why. He had a surgical procedure performed on the most sensitive part of his body as a young adult in his early 20s. Now I checked, anesthesia didn't come out for about the last 200 years. Okay, so there's no anesthesia, there's no drugs to help that pain. And I've also checked that uh, the really nice, surgical, sharp, clean knives that we have today They didn't have those 2,000 years ago. So I'm not trying to get too detailed on you, but when a man in his early 20s gets cut, gets circumcised, men, right? You get it, okay? How painful is that to do that? And it says in deference to the Jews. Meaning Paul said, hey, this is not a theological reason that we're doing this. You don't have to do this for your salvation, or you don't have to do this for that. We're doing this strategically because your dad was Greek, which means he grew up pagan, but your mom is a Jewish believer. And a lot of our mission is going to be going speaking to and ministering to a Jewish audience. And if you are a Jew and you're not circumcised, they won't listen to you. They won't pay attention. They won't take you seriously. Why? Because you're not a serious Jew. And so in his early 20s, Paul says, and I can only imagine the look on Timothy's face. Hey, Timothy, dude, I think we need to cut you. What what do you mean, Paul? (laughs) Yeah, Timothy, you never, I think you need to be circumcised. Are you, I can't imagine the range of emotions that Timothy went through. But at the end of the day, when you're committed to something and there's a sacrifice that needs to be made, it's worth it. And so I see a lot of 20s and men in their early 30s are scared to death to commit to anything. But when I look at Timothy, I'm like, man, this is a guy who was committed to the mission and the message of the gospel. And that was a worthy commitment to make. And that shaped his character, that shaped his convictions, that shaped his willingness to to do something like being cut. It's amazing. So men in... Under 35, is commitment just a word you know how to describe, or is it actually a descriptor of your life? Are you really committed to Jesus, the one who was committed to you? And I wanted to encourage you as just that observation Jesus is worthy of committing yourself to. He is. Those were some observations I felt compelled to share with you. I'm going to transition here into uh, kind of the heart of uh, Paul struggling to identify and know and understand uh, what God had for him, Um, but I just felt so compelled to share that with you. Moms, you play a significant role. Please do not ever forget that. I know that my mom still prays for me. Every single day, she takes me and my four brothers and sisters' names of heaven every single day with my dad. But she has released me to do what God has called me to do. So moms, please pray and invest in your kids. You have the opportunity to make a significant, eternal impact, not just on your kid, but we're still talking about the investment she made in her son 2,000 years later. Older men, please, just look around you. There are so many young men who need you to grab their hand and say, I just want you to come in the direction that God has called us to go, and let's do this together. And to the younger men, 35, and Jesus is worthy for you to say yes to. And not just a spiritual yes, I believe in Jesus, I have prayed a prayer, and I'm doing the church thing. No, he's worthy of all of you. So, all of your life is shaped by your commitment to who Jesus is, his mission and message. Um, So, I move on. I want to read Acts uh, chapter 16. And again, I mentioned it's hard figuring out at times what God wants you to do. And I take great encouragement, actually, that Paul actually really wrestled with God. I know what you want me to do, but it seems like every time I'm trying to do the thing that you called me to do, I'm getting just closed doors. It's just not happening. Uh, and this is a story uh, as told in Acts 16, just reading a few verses, uh, start at verse 6. Next, Paul, Silas, traveled through the area uh, of Phygeria and Galatia, and because the, Holy, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Okay, catch the language here. The Holy Spirit prevented them. I don't know how the Holy Spirit did that, but he prevented them from doing what apparently would be a good thing of preaching the gospel. So the Holy Spirit prevents them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Verse seven, then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So now we have the Holy Spirit. Now we've got the Spirit of Jesus showing up and saying, no, you're not supposed to be there either. You went south, you're not supposed to go south. You headed north, Paul, you're not supposed to be headed north. Verse 8, so instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. In verse 9, that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I love that in his waking moments, he keeps getting it wrong. But it wasn't until he was completely unconscious that he's like, God speaks to him unconscious in his darkness, as it were, and says, this is where I want you to be. So what I want to walk through Uh, is share with you, again, just some more observations from this text in particular of if you really want to know what God wants you to do and how do you understand God's will, God's plan, all of that for your life, if you just were to look at these few verses, what are some things that we could glean from uh, Paul's struggling to know where God wants him to be? And uh, I'll share with you, I think, three or four things, time permitting. Uh, Number one uh, would be this. God will get you to where he wants you to be at just the right time. Uh, One more time, God will get you to where he wants you to be at just the right time. Now, that might be like, well, how does that help me figure out God's will in my life? Well, how it helps me figure out and understand God's will is uh, God is more concerned about accomplishing in me what he wants to do. And God is committed to seeing through what he has for me, what he has for you. And so, again, God, he's going to get you where he wants you to be at just the right time, okay? If you go back in these few verses, we see the entire Trinity working to get Paul to Europe. Paul, initially, we see the Holy Spirit preventing him from preaching the word in Asia Minor. He was headed south. Then we see the Spirit of Jesus not allowing him to go into Bithynia, headed north. We see then God speaking to Paul in a dream about going to Macedonia or going to Europe. The entire Trinity is involved, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and God the Father involved in making sure that Paul is going to eventually land where the Trinity wants him to be at exactly the right time. What I love about Scripture is it's the ongoing story of God getting people to where He wants them to be at just the right time so He can use those people who get there to help rescue others. That's if, again, if you know that and you have confidence, you'll go back and read some of the stories of Scripture differently. He got Abraham exactly where Abraham needed to be at just the right time. He got Joseph where Joseph needed to be at just the right time. He got Ruth he got David, he got Esther, he got Jonah, he got Peter, and now he's getting Paul exactly to the right place at the right time. And we see God working through the frustrating circumstances of life to get us to where he wants us to be at just the right time. Let me ask the question, do you think Paul was frustrated? Okay, and you might, I didn't put a map up for you, but just so you know, It is not like I tried to go to Stoneham and God was like, I'm not in Stoneham. Well, let me drive 10 minutes and go to Burlington. No, not in Burlington. Well, let me drive a little bit further and maybe I'll check out Bedford. Okay? The distance on a map here is 2,500 miles. Okay? So when he is going north, he's going in the wrong direction and it is taking him months to get there. That's not where I want you. All right, well, let me head back south, only to travel another few hundred miles, and uh, I'm not supposed to be south either. And then he wakes up, he's like, wait, I got this big ocean staring, staring at me. I guess I'm supposed to go west, heading to Europe. So do you think Paul was at all frustrated with going to all of these different places and landing in the wrong place each time? Uh, I think clearly he would be frustrated, but what's great about Paul here, and I want to make this clear, it is not bad to plan. He had a plan. His plan was simply, I'm going to retrace my steps of the first missionary journey. I'm going to go back to some of these towns. I'm going to tell them about the amazing grace of, of Jesus, and I'm going to encourage some more people that I haven't met along the way. He had a very strategic plan in place, but One of the things that Paul learned really quick is the best laid plans are plans that you leave in your open hand. Uh, This is just a, a very simple quote from Neil Cole, who writes a lot about Paul, and he said, your master plan is always second to your master's plan. I think one of the things that is really hard for most of us in trying to figure out and understand where God wants us to be, south or north or west, or doing this or doing that, is we make plans and that's okay, but we keep our plans in a closed hand. And when God shifts direction or says, that's not where I'm leading you, that's not where I want you to be, it is impossible for us to change directions because the plans that we've made are in our closed hand. And anytime you have a plan in a closed hand, you're going to completely miss what God would actually have for you because you're so focused on what's in your closed hand. Um, I think I've shared this uh, with you guys uh, before, but my dream from an early age was to go to the Olympics. Ever since I was a little kid, my dream was to go to the Olympics, and I orchestrated my entire life around that one dream. And my dream, my shot, was to go to the 96 games. That was in Atlanta and would have been so disappointing to just could have driven to Atlanta from where I was living. It was nothing glamorous. It could have gone to Athens or Seoul or Beijing or something. No, it would have been in Atlanta. So my dream was to get there. That was my plan. And I had that plan so, my hands were closed around it. And now looking back, I can be like, that was my plan. That wasn't God's plan. And every time God tried to say, Michael, that's not my plan for you, he couldn't rip it out of my hands because my hands were so closed, tight-fisted around what I wanted to do. And I had convinced myself, no, this is from God. This is what God wants me to do. God's going to think this is great, blah, blah, blah. And one of the most painful experiences in my life is when my plan, my dream finally got ripped out of my, my bleeding hands because I was hanging on to it for so long. And it was back in 1996 when I finally learned, All right, God, I don't want to do this ever again. So moving forward, I just teach me how to keep the plans that I make with the brain that you've given me in my open hand. And would you know it, a year later, God opened up an incredible opportunity, opportunity for me to begin a path in youth ministry. And just a year after God taking one plan, my plan, out of my bleeding hands, I'm doing a job working with junior high and middle school, middle school and high school students loving it. I was getting paid $22,000 a year, and I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. I thought it was incredible that anyone would actually give me any amount of money to hang out with middle school and high school kids and talk to them about Jesus. And I was like, gosh, how slow am I? God's plan is so much better than what the plan that I had come up with. So again, my point is, it's not to say don't make plans. Whatever plans you make, you keep them in your open hand. And if God sees fit to put something different, then that's okay because it's in your open hand. I was talking with someone uh, this past week about this very thing as they're struggling and thinking through uh, what God has for them and where God wants them to go. And I gave them this, uh, this picture, and I was like, you know, to be honest with you, I only have two things in a closed hand. I've got Jesus in a closed hand, and I've got my marriage family in a closed hand. Everything else is in an open hand, including Genesis, including my call. If God ever saw fit to change direction, say, Michael, I actually want you to uproot, and I want you to go to Alaska. That would be incredibly hard, but I'd go because it's in an open hand. There are only two things that are in my closed hand, as it were. Everything else, God, you can, you do whatever you want. And the two things in my closed hand are, God said, I want you to close your hand on these things. I've given you, uh, her, to love and to care for, and these kids to love and to care for. Don't ever let anything come in between that. So my question, I guess, would be, as you think about the plans you're making, are your plans in an open hand? Or are your plans actually in a closed hand? Uh, The second thing I would share with you of what I learned from this passage is this. Number two, and again, just be prepared to be encouraged. Uh, God uses failure to get you closer to where he wants you to be. God uses failure to get you closer to where he wants you to be. Uh, Again, I think this is a yes question for all of us, but have you ever felt like everything you try, it just doesn't seem to be working? And it's good things. I'm not talking about like evil, sinful, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed things. I'm talking about like, I'm actually trying to do good things here. I'm actually trying to help people. I feel like my heart is in the right place. This is not for selfish gain, the plans that I've made. I genuinely want to help. But you just feel like, goodness, I just, um, this is an uphill battle. I can't figure out why this door remains closed or why God's preventing this from happening in my life. I can, again, I've already mentioned this, but I'm pretty confident Paul would have been incredibly frustrated. I'm going to plant churches. I'm going to encourage churches. I'm going to tell people about God. How could that possibly be something that the Holy Spirit would prevent me from doing? Like, how could that work? This is a great thing that I'm doing. Acts 16, the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching. And then they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Again, God uses failure to get you closer to where he wants you to be. Now, let me ask this question. Have you ever had a what-if party? Okay, and usually it's just you invited to this party Uh, because in the midst of failure, what do you start doing? You start asking yourself the what-if questions. And I can only imagine, Paul, gosh, what if I didn't split up with Barnabas? What if I would have just said yes and said, I'll take John Mark with me? What if I, instead of taking Timothy, what if I took this other guy? What if I went south first rather than going north? What if I went east rather than... You, you notice that Paul did not enter into a what-if party, because generally speaking, this is where the party gets a little bit bigger, but a what-if party certainly, it usually turns into a pity party. Now, let me invite some other friends into my pity party, because woe is me, I'm doing all of these things, and I think I'm doing it right, and I'm doing all these good things, but God just keeps getting in my way, and will you come alongside me and feel bad for me? What I love about the example that I see in Paul is there is no what-if party. There's no pity party. He goes south. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't want us here. Let's start heading north. All right, we just walked about 1,500 miles. I, I guess the Spirit of Jesus doesn't want us here. Well, let's start heading back and let's land in the place of Tross. Do you think Paul at all felt like a failure Do you think Timothy was like, gosh, what have I done? What did I say yes to? This guy doesn't know south or north. He's got no clue what direction God wants him to go. I promise you, Paul was feeling very frustrated at this time. But what I love about that is his what if party didn't turn into a pity party, which often turns into paralyzed. I just don't do anything. And what I love about Paul is I'm just going to keep moving forward. I will just keep moving forward. Uh, In a book I've quoted often uh, called Love Does by Bob Goff, uh, he said it very well, God intentionally guides people into failure. He made us be born as little kids who can't walk or talk or even use the bathroom correctly. We have to be taught everything. All that learning takes time, and he made us so we are dependent on him, our parents, and each other. The whole thing is is designed so we try again and again until we finally get it right. And the whole time, he is endlessly patient. Notice that there was no rebuke. Paul, what are you doing in the south? Paul, what are you doing in the north? God was endlessly patient with Paul as he was learning and figuring out, how do I understand where God actually wants me to be? Now, again, this might not be the most encouraging thing to you, but I wanted to encourage you with this, and I please write this down. It's OK to fail. I think we're so concerned about making sure everything is perfect in our life, everything looks perfect in our life, so that I feel perfect about everything. But I see, again, the storyline in Scripture is it's a bunch of failures. They tried one thing, but they got back up and they just kept going in the direction that they sensed God was calling them to go. And so I just wanted to encourage you that it is actually okay to fail because God will use your failures to bring you a few steps closer to where He actually wants us to be. Um, My question here before I move on is just quick. Clearly God knew that He wanted Paul in Macedonia. Clearly. So why didn't He tell him? (laughs) Why go south? Why go north? Why spend almost 15 to 1,800 miles traveling in these directions, why didn't God just actually say, hey, Paul, I'm going to prevent you a lot of headache and a lot of heartache and a lot of hassle. Dude, just go west to Macedonia. My plan is to start planting churches in Europe. So don't go north, don't go, just go west. God knew that was the plan. Why didn't God actually reveal that plan to Paul? And here is my best guess at that answer. You can write it down. It's really good. I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe, just maybe, there was, Paul wasn't ready to go uh, west. He needed to go north and south to learn some things about himself. He needed to learn some things about God. He needed to learn some things about the people around him. Maybe north and south were not ready for what God had for them. I have no idea, I can speculate all, de- I, I s- speculate all day as to why, but what I see is God used Paul's failed attempts of going north and south uh, to get him a little bit closer to where God wanted him to be, which was to head west. My third point would be this, uh, God will, and this is a long one, but God will give us what we didn't know we needed to get us to where he wants us to be with who he wants us to be with that's a long one. God will give us what we didn't know we needed to get us to where he wants us to be with who he wants us to be with. Okay, Acts 16, verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Let me read this one more time. So we, we decided to leave for Macedonia. Who's the we? Well, Luke is the author of the story of Acts, and would you know it, the guy that needed to be part of their journey, part of their travel, part of this next missionary trip was a man named Luke. And when Paul went south and then came back north, they started traveling and they landed in the city of Tros, which was right on the water getting ready to ship them out to Macedonia and happens to be in Tros where they are introduced and they meet Luke. And Luke would be the one that would travel with um, uh, Paul on the remainder of his missionary journeys. And would you know it, Luke just happened to be gifted in two ways. He's a great writer, so he could chronicle all of the journeys that Paul uh, was talking about. So praise God that he met Luke, because now we have the gospel of Luke, and we have the story of Acts. And would you know it, Luke just happened to be a doctor, And I'm not sure about you, but if I'm getting stoned, literally rocks thrown at me, it would certainly be nice to have a doctor on my team traveling with me to bandage all the wounds and all the disease and all the stuff that they were going to go through on their second and third missionary journeys. So it might be a a side point, but what's really encouraging to me is that he didn't know he needed Luke, uh, but God did know he needed Luke. And when the time was right, they met Luke and Luke uh, and Paul say, we decided to leave Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to go to Macedonia. Uh, hopefully, this will encourage you. But if you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and things just don't make much sense to you right now, I just open the eyes, open your eyes, and just take a look at who's around you. Because if you're frustrated, feeling lost, feeling discouraged, and I'm guessing Paul was like, after all of these thousands of miles of walking back and forth. You got to be asking the question, God, what are you doing? And so if you're there in a similar place of just, I don't know where I am, how I got here and what God's doing and what's next, just pause where you are and just open your eyes because it might be God put you there so you could see the person, the people, the community that God is going to have you travel with to get you to where he wants you to be. Uh, The fourth and final observation I would make out of Acts 16 is this. Uh, God will speak in unexpected and unmistakable ways. There's no way you could have whiteboarded this one out. All right, we tried north, we tried south. Let's just go to bed. And uh, that's our new strategy. We're just going to fall asleep and uh, see what God does in our sleep. There's, There's no way that they planned for that to happen. But what I love about how God often operates is God speaks in unexpected but also unmistakable ways. So when Paul wakes up, sees this, sees this dream, sees this vision, he's absolutely convinced, and it's not just him, it's the we. We're convinced that this was from God, and God was calling us to head west to go to uh, Macedonia. What I love about Paul here is he doesn't dismiss the direction to go in because it was weird. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I had too much to eat last night and had a really weird, funky dream of a dude calling out to me from Macedonia saying, help us. He didn't dismiss that as he was open. Again, his hands were open. I've, I've got my plans, but something happened. God spoke in an unexpected but unmistakable unmistakable ways. Um, And I love the approach. It just seems like God's leading us to go to Macedonia, and so that's where we're going to go. I don't know if this will be uh, disturbing or discouraging to you, but I wanted to share with you a majority of the decisions I make are my best guess at what I think God wants done. It is concerning to me when I meet someone, they're like, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is exactly what God wants me to do, when he wants me to do it, where he wants me to do it, and how he wants me to do it. I'm like, really? That's amazing because you'd be almost the only person in the entire biblical narrative that got that level of clarity that that's what God wanted you to do. How I operate in my walk, my journey with God is often my best guess at what I think God is is initiating me to do. Uh, A couple months ago, I stood before you guys and said, I just had a really strong impression from God that we were supposed to spend uh, a season of our church's life in prayer. That was my best guess at what I thought God had for us. And what I've learned is that God often initiates a direction. And as we begin walking in the direction that we sense God leading us to do, God fills in a lot more of the details as we go. I didn't stand before you and tell you I saw a burning bush, and it said, pray for 40 days, structure it like this, make it look like this, and then tattoo the wall with a verse that says, never stop praying. It was our best guess. I think God's inviting us to do this, so let's begin walking in that direction. Now, I don't know if that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful to you uh, or not, but I think often before we head in a direction, we want details. Details. And what prevents us from following the leading of God in our life is, well, I don't know enough. And I just want to tell you, that's God's gift to you, is He's not going to tell you everything, but He will initiate movement. And as you begin to head in that direction, uh, He's going to confirm that with some of the details that you need to know as you go. Uh, Again, love does. Bob Goff said it like this, I think direction is the point. He wants followers, not just onlookers or people taking notes. I think God knows that if we found out more uh, than just the direction he was going, we'd probably try to beat him there. And I've done that. Tried to race where I thought God was. And I'm thankful that God often, just as it relates to where he's at work in my life and where he wants me to be in my life, he just initiates a direction. But I wanted you to catch also the point. Uh, This was not a me thing, this was a we thing. The dream, the vision came to Paul, but Paul shared this with the community of men that was traveling with him. And do you notice again in verse 10, it just says, we decided. It wasn't Paul saying, I decided that this is what we're going to do. He shared the direction that God sensed leading, and the team said, we think the Lord's in this. Let's begin heading to Macedonia. So I get very weary or leery or skeptical, maybe even cynical when someone tells me, I, this is what God's told me to do, I'm like, has anyone else confirmed that? Has, has that been spoken or, I don't know, is, is that just a you thing? Is that just a, a, a me thing? Again, God speaks in uh, unexpected, unmistakable ways, but he speaks in the context of community, not just isolated by ourselves. Uh, I know that was uh, a lot to throw at you. Um, and I hope that you were uh, encouraged, Uh, but I wanted just to finish by telling you simply this. Uh, God has things for you. I'm not going to stand and tell you God's got a, a perfect plan for your life, and you're probably missing it right now because you're not doing A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z. What I want to tell you is that God has invited you to walk on a journey with Him. And the beginning point for All of us is the same. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. And as you make that decision to put your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus, uh, every step, you might not know what every step is going to look like, but he's initiated movement in your life. And I wanted to invite you this morning, if you think you've gotten it wrong by going left and you think you've gotten it wrong by going right, uh, just stop where you are today and open your hands and just say, God, I really, I just want to know, where do you want me headed? And you might hear God say to you today, I've got you right where I want you. And then you can rest easy. But if God initiates a movement, share that with somebody else.